Now, I know Kadevi has just prayed, but I think even looking out at you, I think you guys need prayer. And looking inside, I think, gee, I need prayer. Uh, as we come before this word about confession, let's go to the Lord, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come this morning before your word, and I'm sure it's the case every time, Lord, we come in with beliefs and understandings and backgrounds, Lord, and things that we've already done and ways that we've already lived. Um, And then we hear your word, the way to live, the good way. And Lord, there is a war that begins um, between us and between you. I pray that you would make things easy this morning, Lord. You would help us to be able to see through, Lord, the things that we are holding on to. Whether it's even our own guilt, whether it's just the way that we were brought up, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we would be shaped by your word that we would be able to see you this morning and see the beauty of the way that you have created the world and the way that we can live in it with you. How much more so uh, in the one another passages, Lord, how we are to live with other people. As Phil said last week, we are one body, bound together. How important that is then that we learn how to operate as that body, just to be able to delight and make the most of it and take joy in what you've brought us into. So, Father, I pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts, open our eyes, lots of opening, Lord, and give me the words, your words. And, Father, just pray that my voice would drown away, would be drowned out, and that your word would be heard clearly and loudly in our own hearts and in the lives that we live uh, after this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are Christians. I think most people here would agree. As we've gone through our series on the one another's, we've really been learning about what this statement means. We are Christians. We've been adding definition to it. We are Christians that, loved by God, love one another. We're Christians that, forgiven by God, forgive one another. Christians that, being submitted and served by by Jesus, then submit and serve one another. Encouraged by God, encourage one another. And this morning we're going to hear on a word concerning another aspect of what it means to be Christian. The confession of our sins to one another. So let's just start with this and we'll develop it as we go. We are Christians that. And we'll get some more definition Before we can talk about or understand, really, James's command to confess our sins to one another, we need to understand another truth about ourselves and our Christian lives. And that truth is this. We still sin. It's plain and simple. You and I, we still sin. 
Despite having the chains loosed around our necks, no longer having to sin, we still do it. Like opening the door to a birdcage and expecting the bird to whoosh out, out into the great big beyond and never to return, we seem to leave the cage, do a quick lap around the yard and come straight back to it. We've only to look at our own hands to see this truth, don't we? Do you remember when you first believed? The excitement of knowing and believing of what Jesus had done for you on that cross. That you were forgiven, cleansed, free. I remember the feeling of a totally fresh start. And I was going to get it right this time. The beginning of this new life. I was going to read my Bible every day. I was going to pray fervently and no longer just at mealtimes. Jealousy, coveting, greed, anger, pride, lust, all of it. A thing of the past. Did you ever feel that way? How long was it for you before you realised? Moments, hours, days, and you catch yourself returning back to that cage. Looking at the sin being committed by your own hands. Maybe there's someone here this morning that hasn't realised that and it's, I've just shattered their mind. <clears throat> 1 John 1 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. As sad as it is, we should not deny the truth of sin's presence in our lives. While the transforming work of Christ is a guarantee, and we will one day find ourselves completely changed, never to return to sin. It is still a work in progress. Now, I don't think any of this really is a new revelation to any of us. So why address it? Why bring up such general knowledge? Because while we should not deny it, we often spend a great deal of time doing just that like finding a facial zit on your wedding day, it's an ugly truth we don't want anybody else to see. So we mask it, we cover it in makeup. How many times, married couples, have you had a fight or an argument in the car on the way here? I know. I've done it. Not this morning, we drove separately. <laughs> <coughs> And the second that car door opens, smile, pull it together. Somebody asks in the car park or maybe as you get to the front door, how are you in our Australian broken English? And our response is, good, I'm good. It's not uncommon among men to hide the things that they have brought, bought from their wives better to ask forgiveness than permission. I would say better to not have to do either if you can get away with it. What about the stories we have shared with one another about our lives? Can we be honest that sometimes those stories are touch edited and changed? That we cover up the worst of it. 
I've considered this masking reaction as I've prepared for this message, and do you know what I think? I think I've become so accustomed to hiding my own sin from others that I don't even have to think about it anymore. It's just habit. If someone asks how I'm going, I don't have to go through the process of thinking, I'm not going to share that with them. I'm just going to say I'm good and that will be that. I don't have to think about it at all. I just habitually say, good, thanks. It's just what I say, and to be honest, I've often masked it so well that in that moment, that's just how I feel, even though I may have just had an argument with my wife in the car. What did 1 John say again about who was deceived? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Let us bring to light this morning this truth that everyone here this morning, no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, still sins. That we are Christians that sin. The question we are left with is this. How exactly then are we to live with this ugly truth? This really is the question that we are addressing this morning. How do I live as a Christian that sins? And it's important that we have an answer to this because if we don't, terrifying things begin to happen. From 1 John, a, little, a few verses earlier. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him... While we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we have no sin, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, if we were to stop our reading there we would see that there is a significant problem, isn't there? God is light and we sin. If we stop here, we may come to the conclusion that we are in fact not Christians anymore. But people that walk in darkness and that we will also uh, will continue to do so forever. That you and I have repeated the error of Adam and Eve. We were given life, a fresh start, and we blew it. That we cannot have fellowship with God or one another at all. All those one another's that we have heard about over the last few weeks and given thanks to God for are utterly pointless. If we are a people that walk in darkness, but... And it's a big but. This is not where the text ends. What does John say about the Christian that sins? If we confess our sin, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Suddenly we see 
that sin in the life of the Christian is not the doom that it could have been. So long as we confess, our sins are forgiven. And if we are forgiven, 1 John says, we are counted as those who walk in the light, having fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. Confession plays a role in restoring us to the light. So while we still sin, we can remain walking with God and our brothers and sisters in Christ if we confess. That is, if we admit the truth of what has been done and desire to do it no more. But while confessed sin is not a problem, the text points out what is, and that is unconfessed sin. The things that we do not admit to, that we hide and keep secret. Now, Christians, we've heard that the Father is light. We then are children of light. Ephesians 5, 8 to 9 says that the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Hiding things, being secretive, putting things putting a mask on our sins before others, these are not of the actions of a people that love the light, but of a people that love darkness. Christians are a sinning, confessing, forgiven people. This is the dynamic that we live in at the present. This, it is the dynamic, really, of grace and mercy that we continue to participate in. One that never stops being openly boastful about our constant reliance upon the grace of Jesus. So when we hide our sin, we hide our boast in Jesus. As something that we are in fact ashamed of. When we hide our weakness, we hide his strength. When we hide our shame... We hide his glory. Further, when we do not confess our sins, we become utterly alone with them. And that is exactly what the devil wants. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we, are, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Unconfessed sin leads to a loss of fellowship, loneliness. Bonhoeffer wrote in his book Life Together, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. Do you know that there are 58 one another passages, 58 places in the New Testament where we are instructed to be a people that are obsessed with loving one another obsessed with it if there is anything to be learnt in this series on one another surely it is this loneliness is not how we roll it is not the christian life loneliness is a total mystery to us but it is something that we experience when we do not confess our sin at the beginning 
you may have noticed uh, you may have noticed the loneliness when we have let, not confessed. You may still be in contact with people. The good times keep coming. Your secrets are only small things, little parts of your life that you hold back. But over time, the amount that you are hiding increases as the sin increases. And your conversations grow shallower and trivial along with your prayers as you hide more and more. The silences that, are, that start small grows, grow into cracks that grow into yawning cavities. The relationships become less important. And so spending time with them and in them become, happen less often. And just like that, you don't attend anything anymore. Or the gatherings that you do attend feel empty, like going to a party filled with people you don't know and who will never know you. What is the point? Worse still, it indicates that we have lost fellowship with God. In our James 5 passage this morning, we see this exact scenario. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of the faith will save the sick and the Lord will, will raise them up and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. In this case, James is actually speaking of a scenario where someone has unconfessed sin. And where is this person? They're not at church. They're not with other believers. They are, in fact, at home. They have become isolated. They have to call the elders to come to them. We might say that their isolation is due to their illness. However, James also alludes in his passage to the possibility that his sickness has in fact come upon him because of his unconfessed sin. Now, it is very important that we hear this. This passage is not saying that every situation where there is sickness or isolation is a result of unconfessed sin particularly during COVID. Not everyone that has not been able to attend uh, is doing it because of unconfessed sin. The passage clearly says the word if. If he has committed sin. Let's not immediately charge to the home of anyone that is not here this morning due to illness or some other reason and demand that they confess their sins to us so that they can be healed. That, in fact, is exactly what Job's friends did to him. After his life had turned upside down, after he lost his family, his wealth, everything, his friends came and in their encouragement said, you must have sinned to have earned this. And we know from the book of Job that, that was never the case. Job's suffering had divine purpose. So let's not run uh, to any unnecessary judgments of the ill. But 
while it is not always the case, this passage does make it clear that there is a place for self-examination when there is sickness. Sin can make us ill. And the confession of it plays a role in restoration. Psalm 32, David writes of a time when he kept silent, when he did not confess to the Lord. This is what he says of his experience from verse 3. While I kept silent, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David is describing physical aspects to the lack of confession in his own life. But what happens when he does confess? Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my sin. Therefore, let all who are uh, faithful, not fearful, faithful, offer prayer to you at a time of distress. The rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with with glad cries of deliverance. He found forgiveness and a place of safety and peace in the arms of the Lord. It is evident from this word that we are Christians that confess our sin. Now, almost naturally, we think of the times when we have confessed our sin when we are alone with the Lord. The interesting thing about this morning's topic is that it goes at least partially against our natural inclination. Confess your sins to one another. Now, why do we do such a thing? Well, we have already spoken of the loneliness and growth of sin when it is left unconfessed. But why involve other people? Can't I simply do it privately, just me and God and nobody else? Joseph Rea wrote a beautiful article on the Gospel Coalition, on confessing sins to one another. One thing he said struck a deep chord in me as I read it, and he said this, To a person steeped in the culture of individualism, Christianity can easily become a me and Jesus, which means we assume that God really meets us privately. Our most significant spiritual actions come in isolation. If we confess in solitude and read works of forgiveness in solitude, we must have dealt with our sin. Does God only interact with us when we are alone? Or are other people involved in God's relationship with you almost daily? 1 John 4, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. 
we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Now we just have to look at the series that we're going through, don't we? There are 58 one another commands, 58 instructions on how, on, on instructions and reminders on how the love of God is given to us through other people. I invited Callan over a couple of weeks ago uh, for a beer around the fire. Now, he couldn't attend, but his text message to me was of huge encouragement, even though he was turning me down. Just an encouragement to keep that I was loving my brothers and to keep going. Was that not also from the Lord? Can't our forgiveness also be? Phil's message last week is especially prudent. We are one body with Christ as the head. It is not just a nice picture. It means that you and me and Jesus are one body. What does one part of the body go through that the rest is not aware of? When there is pain, the whole body is pained. Where there is grief, the whole body grieves. Where there is joy, where there is peace, the whole body rejoices together. When my brother passed away a few years ago, it was not just my mind that felt grief. But I wept. And to my own surprise, I grew ill. And the next day, I began to have stomach cramps and vomit. My whole body was washed in cold grief. And when I gained peace in the midst of that grief, peace then settled across my whole body. My stomach settled and I could get out of bed again. If walking in the light in fellowship with God is also walking in fellowship with one another, what are we doing if we are not confessing our sin to one another? I would say that we are separating the body from itself, denying ourselves and one another God's plan for salvation. If it is just me and Jesus and not you also, is our relationship with God actually just a head and an arm or a head and an eye and not the whole body? Our fellowship with God is limited if we are not confessing to one another. Matthew 5. When you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Don't come to the altar if you are not in confessional relationship with one another. This individualism, this way of seeing the world is deep in our culture, deep in who we are because of our backgrounds. But it's another thing that we must confess and repent of. So... Does this mean our prayer time after this sermon 
should be just standing up and confessing all of our sins to one another. That would be interesting. (laughs) I don't think it would be helpful. (laughs) And that's really not what we see in our passages. What we see in James is a small gathering. In this case, it's the elders, but confession's not limited to just doing to them. The command being to confess to one another, not confess just to the elders. And what is being confessed is also not defined. It doesn't say that we only confess the offences that we make against one another. Nor does it say that we simply confess the offences that we make against God. It simply says confess. And it leaves the command broad and open to include any sin that is being committed and that is prudent for the time. We are in a way to be known as open books with one another. Not hiding our sin, not secreting it away. It also doesn't mean it needs to be broad public declarations, but a readiness to share. People that are open to one another about what happens in their lives, the good, the bad, things that have happened to us and the things that we have done to others. I must admit that in studying for this passage, I found it to be difficult. I found it difficult for two reasons. The first, that I already had very preconceived ideas as to the importance of confession inside of the church and the way that it worked. And the second, because if I was going to preach it, I had to do it. And I had some confessions to make. In my own life, there have been times where hurtful, untrue things have been said to me. And being the good Christian that I was at the time, I forgave. Or at least I thought that's what I was doing. Having spent time preparing for this message, I realised that it was what I was really doing is holding my forgiveness in reserve waiting for confession. In my heart, confession and forgiveness were two equal halves of what made reconciliation. They were trade items. If you confess to me, I'll forgive you. And we would shake our hands and go our own separate ways. And that would be that. So I waited. And I waited And you know what? I had a coffee with this person months later and he confessed. He was sorry. And being naturally non-confrontational, I said to him that all was well in the world. All the while my heart utterly rejected his his confession. You can ask my wife, I have a very high expectation for apologies. I know what makes a good one and there are seven boxes in my mind that need to be ticked. He ticked one, so I rejected it. And I kept my forgiveness to myself and I justified it because he didn't do a good enough job. 
I was totally wrong for doing that. Do you know that while confession has a role in reconciliation and a role in restoration with God and one another, it's only a piece. It doesn't actually bring the restoration. Confession is a cry for help. Forgiveness is what restores. Forgiveness and not confession is what brings us back to one another. And more than that, it is a certain thing, guaranteed. Listen to our text from this morning. Listen to the certainty of forgiveness that is always present with confessing. Psalm 32, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not hide my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. From 1 John, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And from James, anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. The sin that is being confessed here is not being done into a vacuum. With a vain hope that there may be forgiveness in return. If they are lucky, if they have confessed well enough. If we have confessed well enough to please God and one another, maybe then there will be reconciliation. No, there is certainty in this confession. Do you know that the command to, uh, of instruction that we are talking about this morning, to confess to one another, is only really found in two places in the New Testament? And one of them is a little fuzzy. The command to forgive one another is found 14 times. Jesus and apostles, when considering the essentials for teaching the church on what they needed to live in the world as Christians, as people that followed God, taught forgiveness even more than confession. Confession to one another is still a command to the church. Please do hear that. But confession in the church is not to be traded in equal measure for forgiveness. When someone comes confessing to you or to me, they should feel as it is with the Lord that forgiveness is a certain thing. And that it will come to them like a flood. It is in an environment of forgiveness that confession then runs free. It is, not, is this not exactly what God has done for us? Were we only forgiven for what we have confessed or were and are? There are always deeper things in our hearts that we don't know of. 
confessing to one another. Sorry, I've gone to the wrong place. Does God measure our confession against his own seven points? Does he hold off his forgiveness until we've confessed? God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even before we confessed, he had his forgiveness there, ready, waiting for us, as certain as putting your hand in water gets it wet. It was guaranteed. We are Christians that sin, yes. We are Christians that confess, yes. We are Christians that are forgiven. Yes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, there is a lot to chew on in these words of loving one another. Lord, I pray this morning more than anything else, Father, that we would have seen some of the richness of, of us being able to confess to you and guaranteed a certain forgiveness. Only then and in that place, knowing what you have done, Lord, can we possibly conceive of following in your footsteps. Would we even want to? Only when we have received it from you do we become rich enough to be able to give it to others. Otherwise we are just empty victims when we see that Christ became a victim for us and gave us all the forgiveness in the world and received nothing in return except for a bunch of needy people. But he loved us. Lord, I pray that we would be, have our hearts filled this morning with the knowledge of what you have done. So that then as the church, Lord, filled with what your work, we would be able to love one another. And be as Christ to one another. Reflect exactly what you have done to one another. Heavenly Lord, give us the bravery to be able to um, to boldly proclaim our weakness and your strength. I pray that you would grow us as a church to be able to do this well and wisely. To be able to continue hearing this word through this week and to meditate on it, Lord. And where there are things that are getting in the way, Lord, preconceived ideas, things of the past, things that convict us. Lord, I pray that our lives would be changed and that we wouldn't change your word, but submit to you. 
because it is so much better. Lord, I do pray uh, just for this beautiful image of a church that is proudly proclaiming your strength and their own weakness to one another and the freedom of being able to be in the light without anything hidden, anything secret. Lord, if there are people here this morning that are struggling with this, Father, I pray that you would be with them. That they would know your forgiveness. And for those who are struggling to forgive, Lord, that they would also know your forgiveness. That it would fill them up. In your name, amen.